How are you all? Thank you so much for being here on this rainy uh, Sunday. I'm so pleased that you would be with us. We're in a we're in the most amazing place. You know, we've gone through a lot of muck and mire to get to this place. Thank you, guys. We've we've been through so much to get to this place. We've been through all of the the different uh, um, judgments of God. We've seen them all. And now we come to a place that is called the 1,000-year reign of Jesus Christ. It is called the millennium in the Latin. And it means exactly that, 1,000-year reign. But I'm going to kind of compose this, um, this message into um, addressing a question that, that I think everybody should have. Uh, at least it fell upon my heart and I... I, I, I wonder if it has on yours um, as we read through these 10 verses. Uh, this will be a place that we might spend some time in. I, I want you to know that. This, uh, this place in Scripture is not any place to rush through. I like, where did all these people come from? I've had a few people ask me. And uh, how, does, uh, how do the people go into the millennium? And, and what is it all about? And in and of all of that, there is a question that I think must be addressed. Let's read, please, verses 1 through 10 of chapter 20. And I will, I will share with you the question in a moment. John writes these amazing words. Verse 1 of chapter 20. John writes, And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand, he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. He bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he should not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast nor his image and had not received the mark upon their forehead or upon their hand. They came to life and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ. And they will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison. He will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, gathering them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. They came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. We'll talk about that later. Sufficient to ask the question is, why in the world did God let Satan go? 
He had them bound, chained, sealed for a thousand years. And then it said after the thousand years was over, he had or he must be let go again to torment people. Why? I think I have the answer for you this morning. I I think it's critical that you and I ponder this question. I think it's critical that we ask ourselves, why? Why are we tormented? Why is this happening to the earth? And I think you will come up with an answer that might allow you and me to get through and go through the difficulties that come our way, the trials that that come after us. And so let's pray, and, 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 and please, let's ask the Lord to bless this time. Father, thank you for the music. Thank you for this time that we have to spend with one another. Father, this is not just another day. This is... This is a day of days in our lives. This is a day that you have given us. This is a day that you have created so that we might might experience this time to give you praise. We sang the song, Father, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy are you. Hallelujah, we sang. Father, for the Lord God, the Almighty reigns. And Anthony had us sing the song to wake up and stand up and, and, and be counted. Father, uh, these are not just uncommon times. These are times that you have ordained for us. And so would you please bless it? Would you move me aside, Father, so that I do not get in the way of what you want to say to every single one of us here, myself included? Teach us, Lord. If we need to be convicted, would you please do that? Would you please comfort us if we need that? Whatever is needed, Father, may you supply within our lives. We pray, Father, that you will please bless us and that, Father, we will in return bless you back. Pray this, Father, in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. We've come to what is known as the millennium, the 1,000-year reign of Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, our Lord considers this to be a, a very important moment because he mentions it within these seven verses, from verse 1 to 7, six different times. We've just read, for the millennium to begin, we see that Satan had to be put away with for 1,000 years. Sin and deception is removed from the earth during this time. One of God's angels, if it were not Jesus Christ himself, there is a debate on whether this is Jesus or one of the angels. Not certain. I don't know that it's that important. Sufficient to say, one of God's angels, at least as I see it, comes with a very specific agenda. And that is, in verses 1, 2, and 3, he seizes Satan, binds him in an the abyss, for 1,000 years. He seals them there, casts them into this abyss, and then at the end of 1,000 years, for whatever reason, he releases him for a short period of time, it says. In chapter 20, the kingdom of God says that he will establish his kingdom on the earth during those 1,000 years called the millennium. And this was a promise that he made Long ago, in the Old Testament, prophets of old would, 
would proclaim that the Lord was going to set up his kingdom. Nathan came to David, for instance, in 2 Samuel, the 7th chapter, the 12th and the 13th verse. And Nathan said to David, when your days are complete, David, when you lie down with your fathers, in other words, when you've passed away, I will rise up your descendants after you, David, who come forth from you, and I will establish my kingdom I will build a house for my name, says the Lord. I will establish the throne of my kingdom forever. Many Old Testament prophets spoke of this time that we're studying right here in the 20th chapter. It was going to be a time established by God. Now before we tackle this place in Scripture, we need to recognize there are three points of views concerning the millennium. Post, pre, and ah. Let's kind of look at them so that maybe you get a, a little bit of a grasp on it so you, you might understand what you believe a little bit more. Postmillennialists assume that Jesus Christ is going to come at the end of a thousand years, but a postmillennialist believes that they, the church, will bring about his kingdom. In other words, through the preaching of the word of God, the establishment of the church, there would be peace on earth. A very optimistic view, by the way. To believe that the church is going to usher in this millennium, that there would be a worldwide turning to Jesus Christ, I mean, how many, of that, how many of us believe that today? That, that was a thought way back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Now, on the contrary, today we are seeing the world turning more and more away from God. When we read Matthew chapter 22, verse 14, where it says, Many are chosen, excuse me, many are called, but few are chosen, seems to be more realistic which brings us to the amillennialists. They will, if you, if you would try to, to argue their point, they believe that all of this has gone so wrong that, that the idea of a thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth is, is, is not going to happen. They don't believe there's any hope of a millennium here on this earth. They believe there's a millennium, all right, but it's going on in heaven right now. And they believe that we are now going through what is called the tribulation right now here on earth. The weakness of an amillennialist is that they spiritualize this great book. They have to argue that none of this can be taken literally because they can't argue that, that, that we're going through all of the the, the judgments of God right now to the degree that it goes through in this book. So they spiritualize it. They, they kind of water it down, if you would, and, and, and try to make it fit into whatever it is they want it to fit. Saying the tribulation is now, the millennium is in heaven, and so nothing that we say means anything, nor does what we say have any purpose. It's a terrible place to find this book. That's why so many dredge, dread the thought of studying the book of Revelation because they say it's so hard to understand 
Not true. Not, not true. We can understand it if we take it for what it is. When John mentions there is a thousand years of reigning with Jesus Christ, when he mentions it in verses 2 through 7, six times, I mean, it means something. So that brings us to a third view. It's a view that I happen to take, but I, I will tell you, I take this view as with every, almost every view I take within Scripture in pencil, hoping that, that if I need to learn more, the Lord will teach me and that I can erase any of my mistakes. The third view is called premillennialists. They take this book literally, face value, applying things literally as it comes. For instance, when, when we taught in, in chapter 19, in verse 15, I think it is, yes, when it says that a sword, a sharp sword, comes out of the mouth of Jesus Christ, it doesn't literally mean that a sword's coming out of his mouth. No, we take Scripture and we compare it and we see where Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17 that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. We believe that it is the Word that, he comes, that comes forth from our Lord's mouth. Not a literal sword. So we use Scripture to explain Scripture and apply it literally when we can. And yet far too many a church and far too many a, a denomination will take Scripture and manipulate it into what they wish for it to believe or move it towards their particular agenda. We have no right to do that. We will not do that at this church. We will try to teach the Word of God the best we know how. And as I say to you, when I don't know, I will tell you, and we will write everything down in pencil. It won't ever be written in pen until our Lord comes, and then, then He can make it all official. So the premillennialists here in chapter 20, see this as a, a literal thousand-year reign of Christ that's going to come in the future. When it's going to come, we don't know. Because our Lord has already told us, nobody knows of that time, nor that hour, only the Father. But we do know this, the millennium cannot begin until Jesus Christ and His angels return and overthrow Satan. So for better or for worse, I hold to the teaching of premillennialism and pre-tribulation. By that I mean this. I believe that we, as believers, will go to heaven before the tribulation begins. Now that might be wishful thinking, as I don't want to go through the tribulation. But I believe that we will, go, will not go through the tribulation. I believe Scripture teaches it that way. But I write that in pencil. And if we are about halfway through the tribulation, I'm going to be a mid-tribber. <laughs> and then if we pass the midpoint, well, post-trib, what the heck. I do also believe that we will come back with our Lord at the destruction of Satan and evil for the millennium. But if you disagree with me on any of these, you're in very good company. There are good, good men on, on each side of, of this, this issue. And, and I, don't think it's, it's, I don't think it's worth arguing over personally. I think it's just something that you ought to understand what do, these, what do these statements mean? Are you, are you a pre-tribber? Are you a, 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 a person that believes in the millennium or not? And then settle down to understand Scripture through that point of view. 
But I will hold this view in pencil until our Lord shows us differently. And so what I, I think that we ought to do is agree to disagree. Just find out where we stand and, and try to find out what does Scripture mean through what we believe. Now, I, I realize this is a very long introduction into the 20th chapter. But, but I feel it's very important for you and me to know the different points of view concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ so that you and I can be aware of what we believe, at least. So let's take a look again at chapter 20. Verses 1, 2, and 3, we see that Satan is bound. But as for today... Let's take a look at us today. Satan is not bound today, but rather we are told in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, that he is seeking for someone to devour. Peter says in, in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, Be of sober spirit and be on the alert, he warns us. He says, Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking somebody to devour. But it says in verse 9, resist him and stand firm in your faith. I want to throw that word out to you this morning. The word faith is going to be critical for you and me to grasp today. Stand firm. Resist him. Stand firm in your faith. James, our Lord's half-brother, wrote in James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, concerning the devil and demons coming against us. He says in verse 7 this, listen. Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will... Do you know what he'll do if you, if you stand firm and resist him, it says? He will flee from you. Let me read this again critical. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, it says in the next verse, and God will draw near to you. Then James writes these words. It's almost as if he is teaching us a lesson in the midst of this verse. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, Purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, confess, turn from your sin, and Satan will flee from you. And so, today, Satan and his demons are not bound. They are roaming around this earth, seeking somebody to devour. But we're to resist him. We're to stand firm in our faith. We're to submit to God Resist the devil and he'll flee from us, we are told. We are to draw near to our Lord. And our Lord will draw near to us. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. In chapter 20 and verses 1, 2, and 3, some say that this is Jesus Christ who comes to bind Satan. Could be. We learned in chapter 1 and verse 18 that Jesus Christ holds the keys to death and Hades. But to me, it doesn't matter who this is that is going to bind Satan for these 1,000 years. Just sufficient for you and me to realize that Satan will be bound for 1,000 years. His destiny is fixed. 
But I want you to note something. Look with me again at verse 3. Destiny fixed, all right, but look. Verse 3 of chapter 20. It says that he threw him into the abyss. That's not hell. That is a place of waiting. He is thrown into the abyss. He shut the abyss. He sealed the abyss over him so that he would not, he meaning Satan, would not deceive any nations anymore. Until, though, here's the key, until the thousand years are completed. After these things, he's going to be released for a short period of time. Now, I want to tread where where angels should fear to go. And that is perhaps to answer a question that is mulling around in your heart. Why in the world, why in the world, dear God, do you, sit, do you let Satan loose? You have him bound. Why let him go? One theologian that I read concerning this, Dr. L.S. Schaefer, wrote these words. He says, if you tell me why God let him go in the first place, I'll try to answer why he lets him go in the second place. That's about the way it goes. Why did he let him go in the very first place? I believe that God had a purpose. I believe that Satan is a purpose for you and for me in this world in which we live. I believe that he is roaming this earth seeking some that he can devour. But if we just submit to God, if we just resist Him, He'll flee from us. If we draw near to our Lord, our Lord will draw near to us. But undoubtedly, God has a purpose in Satan roaming this earth. Because with Satan comes the whole premise of evil and most of our problems, by the way. So why does God allow evil? Could He not have stopped it? Of course He could. So let's reason together about this. What do we know about, what do we know about our, our faith? Well, we know that it says that a Christian man and woman is asked to walk and to live by faith. Faith is, is key in your life and my life. Faith is that place where we completely trust God Believing that he has our best in mind, even in the midst of evil, in the midst of trials. I have reasoned with you before, all of us. I have reasoned that faith is the one constant within all of life. Each of us, from Adam and Eve to Abraham, Moses, David, Paul, Peter, John, you and me, we all come to God the same way through the same vehicle. And that is through faith. Now your faith may be large and your faith may be tiny. But it's still just that, faith. I was looking through a couple of places in Scripture and there's only mentioned on here Matthew 17, but would you hold your place here And would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 17? But I'm also going to ask us to look into chapter 8 of Matthew in a moment. But first, Matthew chapter 17. Would you please turn with me? Hold your place in Revelation 20. First book in the New Testament, Matthew. And I want us to read in verse 17. I want us to take a look at three examples of faith. And what our Lord thinks of 
faith. Why faith is critical and why Satan was let loose. In Matthew chapter 17, in verse 14, there was a multitude of people before our Lord. And it says in verse 14 that a man came up to Jesus Christ and this man fell on his knees and he asked him, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic. He's very ill. He falls into the fire. He falls into water. In other words, he can't control himself. In verse 16, this man says, I brought him, my son, to your disciples, and they couldn't cure him. Jesus answered and said, O unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? And then he says, bring him here to me. And then it says in verse 18, our Lord, Jesus Christ rebuked this demon out of this boy. And the boy was cured, it says in verse 18, at once. Then, afterwards, the disciples came to Jesus Christ in verse 19, privately, and they asked him, why couldn't we do this? Why couldn't we cast this demon out of this boy? And Jesus said to them, verse 20, because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, if you had just a little tiny bit of faith, you should say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it'll move. Nothing shall be impossible for you. Our Lord says that faith, whether it's great or even the size of a mustard seed, can move mountains. Remember, we all come to God the same way, faith. Now, would you please turn back with me to chapter 8 of Matthew? Hoping it's going to make some sense. Faith is key. In Matthew chapter 8, a couple of amazing events. Our Lord is... Is, is speaking and people are following him by great, great numbers. And, and in, in chapter 8, in verse 2, a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. To which the Lord, it says in verse 3, stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately, this guy's leprosy was cleansed. Now, the only reason I read you that is kind of to build into what's going to take place right after this. But our Lord did what he did, curing leprosy, curing all sorts of sicknesses, raising people from the dead for one reason, and that is so that you and I would believe and trust in him, so that we would place our faith in him. Because we're going to need our faith in him to get us through difficulties. With that in mind comes a centurion, a, a Gentile. And he has a, well, let's read about him. It says in verse 5, when Jesus Christ entered Capernaum, a centurion, a centurion, a centurion came to him and, and entreated him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering great pain. And Jesus said to him, I'll come and I will heal him. To which this centurion said, Lord, verse 8, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. 
Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. I say to my slave, do this, and he does it. Verse 10, when Jesus Christ heard this, he marveled. And he said to those who were following him, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. This guy was a Gentile. He was a Gentile army officer. And he said, when Jesus said, I'll go to your home and I'll cure your servant, he said, no. Look, I'm not even worthy for you to come to my house. Just say the word. In other words, what he is saying is, Jesus, I've heard of you. I believe in you. I know what you have done. Your, your reputation is, is amazing. I understand completely who you are. I trust what you say will happen. Just say the word from here, and he'll be cured way over there. To which Jesus says, I've not seen such great faith in all of Israel. Now, we go to chapter, same chapter, verse 18. Jesus saw there was a crowd around him and he gave orders to depart to the other side. Now, when you read this story, I think you ought to give special attention to verse 18. And you ought to note that he, Jesus says, look, it, we're going to go where? Where are we going? To the what? We're going to the other side. He didn't say, let's go halfway out and drown. He didn't say, we're going to just make it partially there, but we might get into tough waters and who knows what will happen. No, he says, we're going to go to the other side. In your life, in my life, as a believer in Jesus Christ, he has made a promise to you and me that he will care for us and take us to be with him in heaven. This, this, what we are experiencing here right now, He has promised us that we will see it through. Now, He's promised none of us that we're going to make it through alive unless He comes and takes us up to be raptured. We're all going to pass away. I just heard the news just a minute or two ago that my best buddy is, is this close to death. In fact, they called me to say that he's dying. And it made me think very, very deeply about a lot of stuff. Uh, I just texted him back and I said, please whisper in his ear that I love him. Our Lord promises us that he will take us to the other side. What happens in between, there might be some rough waters. Look what happens. And by the way, by the way, I'm not blaming these guys. I would have probably been the same thing, waking him up and saying, don't you, want it? don't you care that we're dying out here? And when he probably calmed the sea, I would have missed it all, being over the side of the boat going, you know, just throwing my guts up. I would have missed it all. And Jesus says, when they were on the boat, look at verse 24, there arose a great storm. The boat was covered with waves. But Jesus was asleep. Bless his heart. They came to him and they awoke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. How many of us? 
How many of us on this earth right now are going through difficulties and we think we're, we're perishing? We're not. We're not. Our Lord has us in his hands. So what does he do? He said to them, verse 26, Why are you so timid, you men of what? Little faith. Then he rose and he rebuked the winds and the sea and it became perfectly calm. In Mark chapter 4, verse 37, it's a little better rendering. He looked at the sea and he said, Hush, be still. I mean, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you have loved to have seen that? I, like I say to you, I would have probably missed it. I would have been over the side of the boat. Hush, be still. Look what they say about him. In verse 27, it says, The men marveled, and they said, What kind of a man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. Folks, faith is everything. Our Lord explained in Matthew in chapter 17 and chapters 8, talked about faith the size of a mustard seed. He talked about great faith, and he talked about just little, little faith. But faith is the essence of your life and my life. In the Old Testament, they took faith and they looked forward that the Messiah was going to come. In the New Testament, you and I take the same word faith and we look backward and we find him nailed to the cross and then risen from the dead. We all meet there at the cross where he takes away our sin, makes us right with him. So then why evil, John? Why release Satan at all then? Listen, the only way that you and I can show God that we love him is think. It is through faith. Faith is the common denominator between Old Testament, New Testament saints, and everybody else in between. And consequently, a lack of faith in God is what sets everyone apart. You're either... You're either by faith trusting and believing in Him or by faith you deny Him. One or the other. It's faith. Therefore, faith in Jesus Christ is essential for your love of Christ and of God. So still, John, you might ask, why evil? Why does God let Satan go free? Well, as I see it, Evil is the only thing that separates you and me from demonstrating our love for God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Consequently, evil must be present. Get that now. Evil must be present or nobody could ever show their faith or trust in Christ. Jesus came to die for sin and for evil. And if nothing were evil, then you and I would have no reason to be able to show our love for him. I mean, everything would be perfect. There would be no reason to stretch ourselves and say, Oh, wow, I love him so. Well, of course, everything is perfect. We would all be just like robots. So Satan comes upon the scene. And by the way, that was his choice to, to fall away. And consequently, you and I have the same choice to either follow evil or to follow God. It takes a choice. And it is all accomplished by and through that one wonderful word, faith. Faith to believe 
or faith not to believe. Now watch. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 20 one more time. I want to close with this thought. Watch how God demonstrates to us by releasing Satan how some go amok. In fact, more than just some, many. After 1,000 perfectly run years by our Lord under His leadership, the leadership of Jesus Christ in the millennium, under perfect conditions, mankind's condition is still the same. People still rebel against God. Look what it says in verses 7 and 8. When the thousand years were completed, Satan will be released from his prison. Verse 8. And he will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. He will gather them together for the war. And look at the number of those who rebel against Jesus Christ after a thousand perfect years. Just a few? No, look. The number of them that rebel is like the sand on the seashore. Under perfect conditions, Satan will still be able to deceive people. And with seven, verses 7 and 8, perhaps you and I get an insight as to why Satan was released. It is to show our love or our lack thereof. You see, it's not better education that will make, make this country better. It's not better conditions. It's not more money or equal rights that will solve our problems. Our problem is a heart problem. You either with your heart choose to follow God and not Satan, or you don't. And that all comes through that one wonderful word, word called faith or trust. Therefore, I believe Satan is let go to show you and me clearly either our faith or our lack thereof. Because to trust in God takes faith. Not everything is laid out for you and me perfectly. If it were, it wouldn't take faith. And so our Lord allows Satan to go free so as to show the world that we need faith. Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. You might want to memorize this verse. It says this, Hebrews eleven six, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For the person who comes to God must believe that He is and that He will reward those of us who seek Him. And so this message is all about trusting. All about faith. Satan is released for a reason. It's to show how desperately evil most of us are without faith and trust in God. It's those guys in the boat 
thinking they're going to perish, when he said they're going to go to the other side. Look, it's like you and me in this world in which we live, thinking that we're going to sink. We can't make it. Something's going to happen. Blah, 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 blah. And what we need is faith, trust in God. He says, I will see you through. With that in mind, we need to take a good hard look at this place in Scripture, this place in, in the millennium, to understand what is taking place. How could these people, under the perfect condition of being blessed by Jesus Christ in their presence, there He is after a thousand years. Satan is let go and immediately... Many of them, so many that you can't number them. It's more than like the, the number of the sand in the seashore. Just rebel and go with Satan. Look, there's a reason that you're going through what you're going through. I don't know what it is you're going through. I know that I have some problems that we all do. It's faith, folks. God is asking us to trust in Him. He's asking us to be like that centurion. Look, and I'm not worthy, Lord, that you would even come under my roof, but just say the word. Everything's going to be fine. Father, wow, I just, when I said that, I thought about my wife telling me later on today, oh, well, now you preached it. Let's see you live it. <laughs> and Father, that's the, that's the issue, isn't it? These cannot be just words. These got to be truth. We've got to trust in you. We've got to be like those men on that boat that said, what kind of a man is this that even the water, the sea, the wind, command, they, they listen to everything he says. Let us have our trust in you, Father, for you alone are the one who gives us all great things. And Father, what you have given to us is the ability to have faith in you in the midst of evil. May we trust you, Father. In Jesus' precious name, may we trust you. Amen. I love you all more than you'll ever know. Have a great day and God bless you. Take care of yourselves.